that's why I put forth the amount of effort that I do in the visionary role and, and forecasting a vision forward. It's because the power that it gives the individuals that are actually there producing the results. Yep. And what I mean by that is like, if you get a really clear vision, that's exciting to people and then you hire skilled people, they're going to reverse engineer your vision. And, and most powerful thing is they're going to collaborate and work in a unified direction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Moeller Real Estate and Business Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Moeller, and on this podcast, we will be interviewing guests that have made their mark in real estate, in business, and in other areas of life. Listening to podcasts myself has helped me in so many different ways and continues to do so. If you're a real estate investor or an entrepreneur or aspiring to be either, or just someone that wants to learn, you've come to the right place. An easy way to have an impact is to share this episode with friends or family, provide a review, or just spread the word. We greatly appreciate it, and now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Muller Real Estate and Business Podcast. I am really excited for today's guest. We have Jared Sturm on the podcast today. Jared, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. And, you know, Phil, I know I said this before we were recording, but super appreciative to be here. Uh, very thankful to you and Vanessa and anyone else on the team who's doing all the back end work to make this all happen and give me a, an opportunity to share my story and hopefully Man. about you're making me look bad. I, I haven't thanked her publicly yet. So thanks for anyone that knows Vanessa. She is awesome and she does all the hard work. I get to do the fun stuff of just doing the interview and then she makes everything else in the background happen. So I appreciate both saying that and making me look bad out of the gate, Jared. Um, <laughs> a little bit about Jared. So first he's local. So he's from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, so all of our listeners that are in the Ohio or the Midwest area, he is local to us. Jared's been in the real estate business since 2006. He worked for a company and then they started their own, him and his brother started their own real estate and construction companies, uh, some different ones in 2009 timeframe. Uh, and to, up to today, I mean, they have 1300 units uh, under, under management and close to, close to around 200 million. So quite the portfolio. I know you do a lot of work with your team, a lot of vertical integration. You bring a lot of investor capital that, that you put to work in a very good way. So uh, I'm super excited and uh, welcome to the show, man. So first, yeah. Jared, let's get into, I talked a little bit about your backstory at a really high level, but what what made you go into real estate and kind of how did this evolve over time? Yeah, yeah thank you. And I'll, I'll try to make it relatively, I'll try to condense uh, 16, 17 years into a couple minutes here so we can move on to more actionable topics. But um, getting into it uh, was, I got in at a very, very early age. I was a terrible academic student, meaning I just didn't do well in school. Uh, didn't interest me, but my high school did have a, a wood shop and I did really well in that. So working with my hands and being in the trades was always just something I was naturally drawn to. And, um, um, so I used that skill set, as you said, to start a construction company and, and work for, as a maintenance tech for another landlord here in Cincinnati, Ohio, over time that evolved into, uh, friends and families asking, can you fix this? Can you fix that? Which then eventually evolved into, can you redo my bathroom and kitchen? And that timeline puts us around 2008. Okay. And so as, as myself and my brother, as you mentioned, were working on other people's homes, doing kitchens and bathrooms and additions and growing that company through word of mouth, 
we started looking around and saying, hey, look at all these single family foreclosures. And so for a couple of years, we would go do a high end kitchen and bathroom and make, you know, 40 grand in profit and then turn around, buy a $40,000 house and spend our nights and weekends fixing that up. Love it. You know, we spent uh, several years doing single family house rentals, then that grew to quads and duplexes and, and things like that, which then grew to 10 units. And ultimately over our career in 16, 17 years, we've been doing the same exact business model, which is buy distressed assets or things that we can force appreciation into, uh, force that appreciation, strip the equity, and then move into a, the next one. And it's just been a consistent progression of slightly bigger real estate transactions. And so you mentioned now we you know, work with investors. The first eight years, we did it with all of our own capital. And then around year eight, we made the transition into the syndication model to buy larger and larger assets. So I think it's interesting. Honestly, your, your path is, is not that much different in mine in that we started with single family. I've, I've maybe stayed there longer than I needed to. I don't know. But eventually transitioned to value-add multifamily. And there's value-add a lot of things, not just multifamily and real estate. Quite frankly, even in you could, you could do value-add business. But my question is, if you went back, knowing what you know now, but, but maybe if you didn't have the investor network or you didn't know how to do these large multifamilies, how would you change that? Like, what would you do from buying your first one to get you to where you are now? What would that, how would that path change possibly? Uh, I'm sure it would change a lot because wisdom changes a lot of things. Um, I'm not sure I would want to change it because it was a requirement, those challenges, those, those uh, learning curves, those difficult situations have formed me into who I am and have given me a lot. So I don't know if I went back and changed those things, would I be in the position to have the success and in all aspects of life that I have now, right? To, to overcome challenges is a, is a lesson I learned through business, but a, apply in my family and marriage and health and wellness and my kids, right? Um, so, you know, I, I am hesitant to answer that because I don't want to lead uh, your listeners to think like, oh, here is a better path. And so what I will say is like, my path is not someone else's path. And, you know, theirs is not mine. It's kind of like to each is their own and there's no right or wrong answer. Um, well, what I like about that is, first of all, wisdom changes things is, is fantastic. And if you didn't go through the, like you could say now, I would just start with a hundred unit complex because you know that. But if you didn't go through the steps and you did that after one single family house, that could have, that could, that could have just completely halted or stopped your real estate career some really bad things could have happened because you didn't have the wisdom at that time. So honestly, I think it's a great answer in that stretch yourself, but don't go too far too fast where you bury yourself. Right. And, and I think that's a different, that's a different number for everybody, right? Like there are the people who can go from one single family to a hundred unit complex and they do it in a sophisticated way that de-risks that transition. I don't know how to do that. Mine yep. was like a very organic kind of uh, steady growth um, to where I just gained a little bit of wisdom, applied that wisdom to the next deal, made some mistakes, gained some more wisdom, applied that to the next deal. Um, and so there's certainly, as I said, things I would do differently if I had to start over today, but I'm also a very different person than I was when I was 18 years old. So Right. I love it. Well, then the next thing I want to get into is if you go back to when you're 18 or, or whenever, I mean, 
this contracting business kind of slowly evolved, but certainly there was a time where you started buying, okay, that 40K that you made there, you converted it to a single family house. Why, like, what were your early goals or visions or plans? What did you want to get out of what you were doing? Is it just extra money or was there a bigger reason to, to your pursuits? Um, so I'll, I'll say, you know, myself and my brother were just never really inclined. We were never great in the academic system, right? So um, that never put us on a path, the well-beaten path of corporate America, right? Just go to go to college, get the job, go to corporate America. We were never on that path because we just never got there through school. Um, you know, we were the we were the D students, right? The the encouragement from my parents, who are amazing parents, was just make it through, please. Like, can you just get out of the school? <laughs> and um, and so we ne never getting on that path, but being intelligent people who had a drive to become the best version of ourselves, we we had a wider lens to say, how can we apply this, right? And then natural skill set towards the trades, we said, well, um, we can swing hammers all day for 40 40 years, but that's not not that different than a corporate job. And so, like, how do we apply this skill set to, um, you know, buy ourselves the freedom? But you know, my family, there's no one entrepreneurial other than myself and my brother. We didn't see it growing up. I would say we came up from a, a lower middle income family, um, great upbringing, tons of support, but just entrepreneurship and wealth building was not an area of focus. And I don't think when we got into real estate, the goal wasn't 1300 units uh, and $200 million in, in assets. It was I think of it as the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if yep. you're familiar, but like the, the, in the beginning, it was like, well, how do we pay our bills, right? We want to move out of our parents' house. And so like, how do we pay for our bills? And it's like, oh, we could do this. And um, the first house we bought was a six bedroom house and not the greatest area, but I lived in one bedroom. My brother lived in another and we rented it out to four guys, right? So um, satisfied that needs. And then it moves up, you know, later, a few years down the road, it's like, well, how do I provide for a family? And then it's like, okay, well, when, when that is met, you know, how do I uh, bring higher fulfillment to my life and bring meaning back to others? And it just moves up that hierarchy of yep. need. Right? And so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I had this massive vision at day one. It was like, how do I pay for my cell phone? Um, I love it. What is, how has that evolved over time? And maybe what is that what does that look like today? So, um, yeah, is there like, is it more clear now? Do you think about that more? It's just kind of, is it, is it loose or is it, no, there's a plan? No, there is a plan. And on that hierarchy of needs, I think that um, fulfilling a bigger purpose is kind of at the top, right? Beyond yourself and how you contribute back to others. Um whether that's like society-based, faith-based, whatever, however, whatever label you want to put on it, but that's the tip of the, the pyramid, right? You get to the top, you take care of yourself, you take care of your family, and then how do you contribute back to others? And that really has, that was, that transition was somewhere around the time of like eight years into our business and when we were transitioning to syndication, because frankly, I had no desire to syndicate deals. I, I had a very early understanding of the responsibility that that meant to raise other people, to raise money from other people. Yep. And I said, I don't want anything to do with it, right? Like I'll just go a little bit slower. I'll just use my own funds. And around that time, um, 
you know, myself and my brother's dad and and mom, my our parents were kind of uh, about you know reaching like sixty, right? Like wanting wanting to retire. And my parents are someone who like if you read a textbook in the eighties of like financial literacy, like their their textbook, right? Like same corporate job, thirty years, pump it into the four hundred one k. Um, and ultimately it didn't produce the results. I think that they had, that had hoped for, um, they, they were very disciplined in their financial approach, but it just doesn't work well. Right. And so around that time, myself and my brother were doing really well with real estate. Um, our parents were wanting to retire and buy a, a, a house on a lake and live there. The, the 401k hadn't produced the results to be able to achieve that goal. And so we found at the time a 16 unit apartment community that was a very good deal. Um, And and we said to them, why don't you buy the deal? We'll run the whole thing with our systems and operations and we'll share in the ownership, 70 to them, 30 to us. And we did that, um, which ultimately allowed them to retire, get the lake house, do all these things because the amount that 30 years of 401k was able to produce, we did it in like 18 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that allowed them that freedom. And that was when the light bulb went off of like this, this uh, fulfilling that tip of that pyramid, right? Yep. Like I realized, man, we're really good at this. Like we can produce some really good results. And yes, I could do that forever with our own capital. But the reason I shifted into wanting to do syndication was that event. And I said, I have this skill set. I can use other people's capital and bring more back to their life. And a lot of our investors do a lot of really good things with their money. It could be as simple as spend more time with their kids, but there's, you know, I I have some investors who hundred percent of all the distributions go to charitable organizations and things like that. And it's, it really made me realize that's where that tip of the, where I can have the biggest impact on the tip of that pyramid. And I saw it less as a, a responsibility to shy away from and more of a responsibility to lean into. Love it. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. To whom much is given, much is required. And you, once you figure it out, the other thing is you unwound 40 years of training of the, the system, if you will, for your parents in 18 months. So, And they probably saw it before the 18-month mark. They probably saw six months in, nine months in. Oh, this is going pretty well. So what Let's, let's stay on the topic of kind of vision, because I know you've spent some time really digging into that for the next couple of years. What, tell us a little bit about your vision moving forward and the process to build that. Well, I think I'm going to answer it in a roundabout way and say a lot of the, your audience is probably listening to it as either a passive investor or an active investor looking to do their own deals. And I think it's so important to realize that um, financial returns are supported by on-site operations, Yep. but on-site operations are supported by the people who work there. Yep. I think that second component is oftentimes missed. Um, and so to get back to your question, as a leader and a business owner and someone who wants to produce attractive financial returns because of the responsibility to do so. It's about casting a vision to then allow those people who work at the on-site level to follow that vision. Um, And so for me, that's why I put forth the amount of effort that I do in the visionary role and, and forecasting a vision forward 
it's because the power that it gives the individuals that are actually there producing the results. Yep. And what I mean by that is like, if you get a really clear vision, that's exciting to people and then you hire skilled people, they're going to reverse engineer your vision. And, and most powerful thing is they're going to collaborate and work in a unified direction, right? There's nothing worse than an organization that hires a bunch of really skilled people and then they work in opposition. Then they get frustrated with each other and quit, right? So uh, for me, the purpose behind casting that vision is to produce the results. Yep. I love and it. And honestly, I like I, I did this, I just wrote on my notebook here, but like this circle of you, like you want to return, which means you need to deliver operations, which means, which the people, the team members needed to deliver the operations, but to get the team members aligned on what they need to deliver, you need a clear vision of what they need to do and, and quite frankly, provide the leadership direction and vision for them. So that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And that's, that's so much easier said than done. Like it is a lot of work to sit down and say like, well, what will it look like? How can I direct them? How do all these pieces fit together? And there's times it takes, I, I mean, I've, it's a constant effort, right? Like I've made yep. a lot of mistakes and said, oh, this is what it's going to look like. Oh, never mind, that didn't work. Um, and and you, one of our core values in our organization is continuous improvement. And so we acknowledge that not only at the most basic level, but also at the visionary level, right? Like continuously shaping that vision to be better and better. Um, but I've just been really proud of how uh, our team, who is now you know almost 50, 50 employees, five zero, um, takes the vision that I cast forward, reverse engineers, and works in a unified direction to bring it to fruition. Because I just can't anymore, right? Like thirteen hundred units and fifty employees and hundreds of millions of dollars. It's like there, it is impossible for me to do all of this and required that I figure out a way to lead a group of people in the right direction. Well, I think, I think the main message and we have, yeah, as you said, active investors, passive investors, business owners, people that are just curious, whoever might be listening, quite frankly, there is a lot of effort into building a vision and what you want in your business or in your life, if that's different areas of life, whatever it might be. So I think that's the first message is like, this is a lot of work but it's really, really important work. Have you, like, what has the response to that been from your team members of, of, the, of your, the vision that you've built? Yeah. So it's, it's been my most valuable tool as a leader that I take the time to cast the vision. And let me tell you how I do that. So like the, I do it in many ways, right? It, whether it's just a one-on-one -on -one conversation and talking about these things. But something that has been really useful is, um, well, have you heard of the book of Vivid Vision? Yes. So Vivid Vision is a book that I read. And the suggestion in the book is to basically uh, imagine your company three years into the future and then write a three to five page document that says, here's what my company will look like, feel like, act like in the future. So I took that idea and expanded on it a bit. Um, and what I did is I wrote a business review magazine of our company. Okay. It ended up being like 35 pages, but the way it's like, so again, I put it like the cover of the magazine says uh, three, three years into the future, a date. 
and it says how SNS grew to control $250 million of uh, apartment communities and known as the landlord that delivers the feeling of home, right? That's the cover. And then on each page, it outlines, you know, what will our corporate office look like? What will our values be like? What is our team made up of? What roles do we have? And, and then it goes into each department. So I have a, a, a page de dedicated to leasing, a page dedicated to maintenance, a page dedicated to property managers. And it's basically empowering the team to say, if you want to be in one of these roles, I'm giving you a clear vision of what that might look like, you know, so create it, right? Or act this way. And on each page, it has six to eight accolades uh, that we're trying to accomplish. So when I first did that, that was, we're two years into that three-year vision. Um, and it was really cool because this year at our company holiday party, I took that whole magazine and anything that we had accomplished, I highlighted in blue because that's our company colors. Yep. Anything that we hadn't accomplished was left in the gray or black or whatever white text that it was in the, in the magazine. Cause we actually printed these out. They look like magazines and it really showed us like, wow, we've already made it like 75% of the way there. And, awesome. and, and it was just really cool to see and cool to celebrate. And it gives us uh, something to acknowledge, but something I'm trying to remember to say, it's been really impactful in the hiring and recruiting. Okay. So you know, when, when we're looking for the best team members to be on our team, and they sit down at our corporate office and we slide them this magazine across the table at an interview and say, if we offer you a position, we want you to know what you're saying yes to. This is where we're going. And so if you're interested in joining something like this, we, you know, and we make you an offer, we'd love to have you. But it's really important to us that you know how high our standards are and what you're agreeing to. Yep. And just the simple practice of like, oh, you're an organization that cares enough to put forth the effort to put this together attracts quality team members. Yeah. And so, um, and then once they're in, they actually know where they're going and how to reverse engineer and you don't have to micromanage. You just say here, come on, like we're going in this direction. What great ideas do you have to help get us there? Yep. It's been really, really powerful. I hope I answered your original question. You, you did. And honestly, again, I'll just, I'll just reiterate like the importance of casting a vision in business and real estate for your family, like where you want to be. There's just, there's so many elements of that. And it's so easy to think of, a little bit about it, but to write it down and plan for it and do it with others too. I'm sure you involved other people in this process. Like you wrote it, but I'm sure you, you had team members and inputs throughout the process, which built, gets their buy-in to the whole vision, quite frankly, as well. But just spending the time on it, like I've heard the quote before, most people spend more time planning their, a family vacation than they do looking out three to five years and what will their life look like? What will their business look like? So I absolutely love it. Now, the reality is you got to cast that vision, but I want to shift gears and talk about business operations a little bit. So you cast this vision, this sounds great, but you have to make it happen. So how do you make it happen? Yeah. And I, and I would put the label of operations on it, right? Like if it's all visionary and you don't come in and put, put the, uh, you know, traction to the road, it's just woo woo and, and nothing. So, um, yeah. To give a little more context, in, in our organization, my technical title is CEO. My brother, who's my business partner, is COO. And then we have a third partner. Uh, his name is Coleman. Uh, he's our CFO. I think a better way to describe that to your listeners is I push the company forward. My brother cleans up the, the problems that creates with systems and processes. And then Coleman, my partner, CFO, keeps track of all of it. 
So um, that's kind of the breakdown of responsibilities, but in a 50 person company, there's still a lot of blurred lines and we work really hard to help each other whenever we need help. With that said, the operational efficiency that I pride our company about, a lot of that credit should go to my brother, um, who is just very, very good at that. And he's good at creating systems and processes and the operations to support the vision that I've casted. Um, and so uh, going back to the same statement, you know, financial returns are supported by on-site operations, on-site operations are supported by the people. And there's a lot of groups that will say the same things that I say is that we're great at operations and the, and where I think we can take the conversation next is like, well, how do you know you're great at operations, right? Like how does a business owner or an investor looking to invest in the business know that? And I think the simplest question you can ask is what are your KPIs? So KPIs yep. are key performance indicators. If you're good at operations, you're good at tracking things, right? Because that's how you know if you're improving. Um, and so on the statement of on-site operations on support to financial returns, um, I think it's so important to have good KPIs that align with your vision. So you're tracking something that's progressing you towards that vision. Yep. And if you good, good financial returns being one of them, um, well, let me pause and see what you have to say there, but well, I don't want to get rabbit hole. Yeah. And I think, so first of all, there's this process and I, I use the term strategy deployment. Um, I, I, I worked within strategy deployment in my corporate career, but basically it's taking a vision that you cast that has some metrics around it, but then how do we get that? Not just from a three-year plan, but then a one-year plan, but then maybe this quarter's plan and then this month's plan, but then this week's plan. And then how do we measure the lead? There's leading indicators and lagging indicators. We could get into that topic, which is really important as to what you're measuring. Are you measuring the sales revenue at the end or are you measuring your sales and marketing contacts that you've made that delivers the sales revenue? So there's all kinds of different levels of cascading this vision to operations. Um, how, how do you, before we go into your point, how do you do that? Like, how do you get, is your vision measurable? And how, what is that cascading down to all different levels of the organization look like? Yeah, so I think at the highest level, you can say, what's your mission statement? And ours is to, to deliver the feeling of home, not just a home, but the feeling of home, like stability, belonging, respect. Yep. Uh, and then in doing that, being the best operator um, in living up to that commitment, and so one thing we've done to deliver the feeling of home is we bring all of our operations in in-house, meaning vertical integration and controlling each aspect of it. So we can live up to the commitments that we're making to our customers, which is our residents. Yep. Um, and I, I think a, maybe a great way to answer your question would get very specific on one KPI. And yeah, I think, I think so. Cause it, it, it's hard to, you know, every listener is going to hear this differently. So if, like one that everyone's familiar with, vacancy right yep. like in real estate vacancy or occupancy depending on which organization you're in um you know for us financial returns are heavily impacted by vacancy because it's it's one of the most trickle down accounts right yep. so um a kpi that we track a lot of organizations track vacancy that's normal but we break vacancy into the components of the departments that affect vacancy and so uh explaining that is 
vacancy is obviously the time that from when a resident moves out to the next resident that moves in and the gap between those two dates. I know across our whole portfolio, we average 20 days, you know, 1300 units, we average 20 days. That's with a heavy value add renovation in the middle of that. But there are multiple components to that vacancy. So from the time the resident moves out to the time the construction starts, yep. that's the project manager's job. The time the construction starts to the time the construction finishes, that's what we call our turnover teams. It's our tradesmen. Those are our employees that do the work. They renovate the apartment. Right now, we average three and a half days on all of our turns. Um, that's like full gut renovation. And then there's the final component, which is from the time the construction is finished to the time the resident moves in. Yep. And our leasing team in 2023 averaged three and a half days as well from lining those dates up. That drives that vacancy number down, which then impacts the financial returns yep. significantly because vacancy has so many trickle down impacts. Yep. And so we're always pushing each of those roles in our organization to maximize their component of vacancy. And this is just one KPI and one example, but I think it helps the group understand of like how nuanced you have to be to be a good operator and then hold them accountable to say, here's our target, right? Yep. And how this relates to the mission of deliver the feeling of home and driving the bottom line is like in 2023, 68% of our leases were signed for that apartment before the first resident moved out. Yep. And why that is, is because in our lease, we have like a 30 day notice, right? So the resident gives notice, the project manager inputs the date at which the future construction will start. They know it's three and a half days later, it's gonna be ready to be cleaned. It gets cleaned and then the leasing agent knows what date they can pre-lease to. And so having control of all of those components of our business and then living up to those commitments to our residents allows us to maximize the financial returns. Yep. So I'm getting really into the weeds here, but I think it's a, a relatable example to whether it's multifamily or single family or office or whatever, like we all want to decrease vacancy. Yep. How are we doing that? How are we and tracking? Quite, and quite frankly, any business center, again, I'll go back to like vacancy impacts revenue. And a lot of people, the, the company's goals might be maximize revenue, but it just stops there. Let's just measure the revenue and see what that looks like. But if I'm going to talk to an employee that doesn't understand all the trickle effects and how it stacks up and what all leads to revenue, they're going to say, I, I don't know how to impact revenue. I don't have a KPI that I can impact that helps with revenue. But you're saying, okay, a leasing team, if we're averaging three and a half days, the way you can impact revenue is let's get that to just three days, just three days to be the average time until you lease it. And you're going to help revenue by, you know, X percent. And I don't know if you can, can tie the dollar yet, but if you have the different teams, the project manager, the tradesman, the leasing team working on their focused area, net net, your vacancy is going to drop and your revenue is going to go up. And then the other thing to keep in mind for people, if there was three items within vacancy and maybe there's more, there's also three or four other factors within every like revenue itself would be the top level, yeah. but that's hard to control for people. But then there's, you know, just delinquency, non-payment, there's other things that impact revenue to other income that you might have those same metrics for. But that's, a, yeah, that's a great example of how that's way more of a lead. Those are way more leading indicators that, that someone can control. And then they know, they also feel like they're part of it. Like they're part of delivering the financial results and they know what their, their 
place their role is within the company to do that. And even you talked about like, do you know the financial impact of those days vacant? We yep. know exactly, yeah. right? Because you can have a, a monthly, monthly rental rate and then you can have a daily rental rate, right? Yep. So we, and we actually, knowing that, we align that financial incentive with our leasing team. And so there's a lot of real estate organizations that say, if you sign a new lease, you get one month's rent and commission, yep. Yep. or you get uh, $100 in commission. I don't know. There's lots of different ways to structure it. What we do is we say, our target is for you to lease the apartment seven days after the construction is finished, right? That's, the, that's our company's target. Any days less than seven, you get a third of that daily rent that leasing agent does. And, and we have, you know, all of this is being automatic, automatically calculated within our software. Yep. Uh, but it said, you know, so we tell our leasing agents, if you lease it the day after the construction is finished, you get a third of six days worth of rent. Yep. And like, obviously they're leasing lots of units per month and, and that can add up quickly. And so we're just, aligning their incentives with our targets and we're setting a realistic target to say seven days is our target. Now we averaged three and a half days over the whole prior year, which tells you they're trying to drive that number down. Right. So when they're on the phone with that resident and the, and the resident says, I'm looking to move in in the middle of uh, uh, next month. Right. And they're like, well, you know, this unit is actually in really high demand and it looks like it's going to lease up and, or, you know, we would prefer you to have you in on this date, right? That's a tricky conversation to navigate. And if you would give them a financial incentive to learn how to navigate that, they do it really well. Yeah, yeah, that's really good stuff. And again, I think just for so many different business owners, the importance of translating your vision all the way down to the operational level and what do I need to do today to support the long-term vision is fantastic. I think I'm, I'm trying to think of in like in uh, from a just a personal example. So trying to create like a family vision statement or what does that family look like or family core values. And I think that's really important to do. How is that measured? Isn't as easy, I think maybe in the family context, but, but also, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a personal example for that too. I don't know if anything comes to mind for you. Yeah, no, I got a great one. Um, so one thing I struggle with as an entrepreneur and someone who's naturally like kind of visionary is I'm always forward thinking uh-huh. I've labeled as a gift and a curse. So it's a gift in business for sure. Like I can see around corners in personal life. I would label it more on the curse side because the reason being is um, it's, it, it makes me not be present as much as I should be. And so I have a, a six-year-old and a three-year-old, right? So I'm thinking like, well, I got to get these little six and three-year-olds ready to be an adult, right? Like I, that's, that's my, my default. Um, and so I, being self-aware enough, I say, okay, that's my default. But my vision is to be a more present dad because a six and a three-year-old just needs me to be here, right? Yep. Like I just need to be present. And so one thing that I did is I said, I want to put my kids to bed uh, 325 days out of the 365 days a year. So here's where I start to transition back into the robot that has KPIs to how yep, to be a dad. Yep. But it works. So what I did was I said, well, how am I going to track this? Right. And what, what I do is, and I have this on my phone is every night we do a video diary where I lay, I literally laying next to my daughter in, in bed, 
and we're, I'm just holding my phone and we talk about what we're grateful for, uh, uh, something we failed at and a problem we solved. And I'll share mine. She shares hers. Uh, Some nights it's just her crying, saying she doesn't want to do it. (laughs) She's sneezing and there's boogers everywhere. And sometimes we have great, great content, but I record it every time I do it. And I have like 700 videos now because I committed to that routine action that's trackable. Yep. So to say like, well, you can't quantify being a present dad. And it's like, well, you kind of can. Right. Well, I have to work on that because like one of one of the things I say is like a fully present and engaged husband and father. And the reason I have to say that to myself is because I empathize with you that I'm forward thinking. I'm thinking about stuff all the time. Um, my mind, my mind's turning. So I need to bring it back to be present and engaged. And I have different habits and things that I that I track too that are a part of that. But um, we'll both keep working on it. How about that? But the, honestly, that's that's a great nugget. And I think there there are definitely really important small things that you can do, but small things done over time can become big things, right? So fantastic. I think we could go on for a while longer, but I kind of want to shift gears a little bit to just some some closing questions and uh, just see what direction this goes for folks. But if you were to define one factor of success that has that just you think is really important for either yourself or others, what would that be? Um, so I, I probably for many years would have just said like the grit or the hard work or the work, work ethic. Cause that's a lot of what got me to where I'm at, but yep. tying into our conversation and how my business is evolving, I think it's more about creating clarity. So, so we talked a lot about this in this, in this uh, recording, but whether it's myself or someone else, what generates success is being very clear because at some point you're going to get capped by your own capacity and any type of leadership has to come along with a whole lot of clarity. I would say like a lesson I've learned is it takes 10 times what you would expect to create that clarity for someone else. Yep. And over, over communication of it, crystal clear communication of it, that, you know, people, if you, if you just talk about it, but don't write it down, people will probably play the game of telephone and it gets changed versus if you have it written down and in there. So um, not just vision, he's not saying vision, you're saying vivid or very clear vision and just clear communications, clear roles and responsibilities. I think you're probably saying all that. Yeah. Clarity, right? Like clarity as a whole and clarity on how you communicate, clarity on how you give that responsibility away. Just all of it is if you're a leader, it's like it takes so much more than you would expect because every every leader has probably experienced is like, I said it like, why didn't it? How did it end up at this result? Because I thought I was clear and you're not. And so what can what can create that success for me or others is like overdoing it on the clarity that you create for the people who you're enlisting on bringing your vision to fruition. Love it. The next question I have is, um, I'll go back personal. Like, what is what is a personal habit? You talked about what you do with your daughter, but what is a personal habit that you are working on yourself today? To improve? Yeah. Yeah, something that you're working on to improve yourself. Oh, I mean, I, I kind of, the meaning of life to me is uh, is progressing. So I would say that's kind of like the, everything. Um, 
so I consider myself a, a very good husband, a very good dad, a, a, a great employer and business owner. Um, I, I really prioritize my health and well-being, but there are metrics that I'm pushing on every single one of those because where I find the most fulfillment is 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 in improvement. Honestly, it's really interesting because I just talked to someone today and we were talking about a podcast that we had just listened to. Progress, the, the quote was, progress equals happiness. And if you think about business, if you're going backwards, like that's tough. Like you're probably not going to be happy. If you're progressing, you're probably going to be happy. Like not perfect, but happy. Or in your health, wherever you are today, if you're improving where you're at, you're probably going to be happy about it versus if you're, if you're declining, like you're going to get down yourself. You're not going to feel good. So just progress equals happiness is something I just heard and have been thinking a little bit about. So I like that. Yeah. What about favorite business or real estate book? Um, you know, a lot of what I've been reading lately is in the health and wellness space. And, and, and I can make the leap and say, like, if you're mentally and physically fit, you're going to be very uh, better equipped for your business. Yep. Uh, real estate. And so with that, I guess with that leap there, I, I like I, it. Let's do I, it. I have enjoyed the book Outlive. So yep. there's a, a Peter Atia. Yep, is, Peter Atia. It's pretty well known in like uh, this space. And he wrote the book Outlive. It's one of the few books that I've listened to on Audible like multiple times over. Okay. And a lot of it's because it went in one ear and out the other. It's pretty sophisticated. And, yep. and I, it was not all landing for me. So I had to listen to it multiple times. But I just love that content. And he aligns with the the idea of optimization or continuous. Yep. Right? I love it. And honestly, for, for the listeners, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be bringing on like a health coach that I've worked with. And I'm going to be making the point why, because it's so important to have your mindset right, your health right, your energy levels, all those things. Like health is important towards your business. And quite frankly, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're probably costing yourself a ton of money, if not now, in, the, in, in future years. So I definitely understand the tie and, and I love, the, love it because um, it's just, it's, yeah, it's a little bit different, but I like it. What about your face, favorite personal development book? So now you got to think of a different one if, if – um, if it's not the outlived by Peter Atia. You know, one of my goals this year was to break away from like the things I normally read. Um, and so it would be like business or health and wellness. And so I said, I'm going to read um, or list. I listened to all my books, but like listen to uh, six books on parenting or marriage. Yep. And two that I listened to that were pretty good was, one that a lot of people have all heard of, which is the five love languages. Yep. And the other one was called Crucial Conversations, much mm -hmm. less popular. But both were really good for self-development in areas that I think I have the biggest capacity to improve on. Um, and so, you know, five love languages, some most people are familiar with, but it's like I'm listening to it and I'm like, this is kind of cheesy. And then I'll like implement it and I'm like, this works perfectly this like, is wonderful yeah, yeah yeah this is like it works flawlessly so cheesy works that book's a little cheesy but it works perfectly so that was a great recent self i don't know if that's my favorite but i don't have a favorite off the top of my head yep no that's a good one so honestly my wife and i did the quit there's like a five love languages quiz we had done it maybe a decade ago but we did it again three months ago and it's like 
it's just a good reminder of man you're you're not doing a lot of things right phil like you need to get you need to get corrected in these areas so that it, it is a very good book maybe people think it's cheesy they can think that but i encourage people to check it out awesome Jared. sorry sorry okay, i'll give you one funny story so i was like uh um listening to that book right pod ear pods in listening to the book i wake up in the morning it had recently snowed here in cincinnati so i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna go out and take care of this snow you know like i'm acts of service right like yep. uh, i'm gonna go out here first thing in the morning shovel the snow make sure my wife's car is accessible and cleared off and then listening to the five love languages knowing that my wife is like physical touch all she wanted on a snowy morning was like <laughs> on the couch and I'm out here like acts of service and it just, you know, right over my head. But so we continue to make mistakes, but it was just a funny example of like, I have the most capacity to improve on these did, things. Did you stop shoveling the snow like halfway through to realize, Oh crap, I'm doing the wrong thing here. I got to shift gears. Or you, I'm assuming you finished it. I finished it and it wasn't until coming in and having a conversation with my wife that I put the pieces together. Right. That's, that's a really <laughs> funny story. Awesome. Jared, this has been great. A lot of amazing nuggets here. Um, vision, clarity, operational execution, kind of translating that a lot of personal touches too, which I really appreciate. How can people find out more about you, Jared? Uh, best thing is our website. So our company is S N S that's three letters like Sam, Nancy, Sam. So our website is, snscapitalgroup.com and okay. so free to reach out to me there and learn more there awesome i will we'll be sure to put that in the show notes jared this has been great again a ton of wisdom for uh the Mueller real estate and business podcast this is phil Mueller signing off thanks thank you for listening to the Mueller real estate and business podcast we hope you found today's episode helpful if you know current or aspiring investors or entrepreneurs or anyone that would benefit from today's episode we appreciate you sharing it with them or better yet providing us a five-star review to learn more about Mueller real estate visit our website at www.mullerre.com you can also sign up for our newsletter or local events via our website in closing i encourage you to be purposeful in all areas of life, educate yourself, network with others that have been successful, take action and lead. Thank you.